Welcome back to the King Millie Podcast. Every opinion is welcome and every voice can be heard. Hope everybody's laid up out there today. Went outside this morning for an early morning walk. Almost froze my nuts off. Mercy. And I've been wearing long johns since September. I don't play that. I've been wearing long johns since September. Some of y'all stepping outside with no long johns, with no layering. I don't know how y'all doing that, but hey, you know who you are. Don't get me wrong. There's times where the hairs on my legs stick to the long johns and it gets very uncomfortable. But you're not about to catch me outside. In, in, in sub 50 degree weather without long johns it's just not happening it's just not happening <sighs> today's guest today's guest is narelle ferguson a friend of the show and 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 like her i too we both um are are, are long time or, or, or lifelong or oh or, 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 or fuck man fuck i'm baiting right now listen i set a deadline right i said i'm gonna have the podcast uploaded by eight o'clock and this is probably like the second time I'm recording this pre-roll. And I don't feel like making it a third time. So I'm just going to keep talking. The purpose of the conversation that we have on today's show is to show each and every one of you guys, those who are um, religious, those who are not religious, those who are spiritual, those who are not spiritual, that um, Christians don't have it figured out. No. I know oftentimes people who don't go to church probably feel guilty when they get around Christians. They be like, oh my God, I'm not as good as you. Oh my God. I have a lot of questions, but I don't even know where to start. Oh, my God. Like, how do I get like you? And I think the main, the biggest takeaway that I got from this conversation is just listen. We're all in this together. We're all trying to figure this thing out just as much as the next man is. And um, Narelle and I are two people who grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And naturally, as we got older, we started asking questions. Um, I think what makes Narelle's situation so unique and what makes her perspective so important, in my opinion, is the fact that she grew up the daughter of a pastor so the expectations for her from the perspective of members and family members and or church members excuse me family members and people who just you know on the outside looking in the expectations for her is oh my god like you, you, you have to live a certain way you have to be a certain person and i respect the fact that when she reached a certain age she had the audacity to go against the grain and ask questions because a lot of us do a lot of us have questions a lot of us have instrumental done already son what's up all right but a lot of us have questions <laughs> it's a rough morning a lot of us have questions um that need answers and i think like i said the biggest takeaway from this conversation is the fact that everyone has questions and we're all in this thing trying to figure it out together i hope everybody can take something away from this conversation we speak speak you touch on a lot of topics from just you know a lot of the political things that happen in church to some of the spiritual tr- struggles we go to to her architectural background there's a lot of different things in this interview and um i hope everybody will enjoy it and i hope that it will answer a few questions and clear a couple of things up about god and religion and the way the world around us is working and operating today and i'm definitely going to have more conversations in this realm on the podcast going forward i just feel like it, this is this is necessary this is something that is important and this is something that needs to be discussed because listen there's a war going on outside that no man is safe from there's only one man sorry one being one thing one person i just said one man and i corrected it to being and i went right back to saying person it's a very rough morning this morning son but can't come out every night expecting to go 100 percent from the field i'm keeping all my, i'm keeping all of the mishaps in here today i don't feel like editing out nobody's perfect i'm far from perfect and i make mistakes but um i hope you enjoyed the episode like share subscribe you know the vibe Hope this episode starts a lot of discussion and conversation. Feel free to add me on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any questions about anything discussed in this interview at underscore King Bentley. You know the vibe, man. Enjoy the combo.
at what age did you realize like you had an interest in architecture? Wow. Um, I feel like all my life I've been interested in buildings and how mm-hmm. they go together. Um, I don't think I actually had like a fixed idea like, okay, this is what I want to go into until maybe like eighth grade high school. And then even then, at one point I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> I feel like every I feel like every <laughs> person who, who, who's of West Indian right. or African de- descent at some point being a doctor or a lawyer yeah. has crossed your mind. Exactly. Like, lawyer ah. was never it. But at one point I definitely wanted to be a doctor. Um, but even then, like I remember in middle school drawing out plans for my house, my friend's mm. house. So I always kind of knew that I wanted to go into that direction. Um, it probably wasn't like solidified till like tenth grade mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, I want to go into architecture. So when, when your parents, when you first told your parents, like, listen, I want to be architecture, were they architect? Excuse me, were they receptive to it, or were they like, nah, yeah, this they were practical, quote unquote practical. They were. Um, my dad wanted me to go to Oakwood, <laughs> <laughs> so um, once he realized Oakwood didn't have an architecture <laughs> program. He was he like, had to let go of that. yeah. He was like, okay, so you could go to Andrews. So like, I was like, all right, all right, because Andrews has a architecture. Week. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, was was Adventist education the only option for you? Um, I want to say no, but at the same it felt time, implied. yes. <laughs> but and it's weird because I didn't go to Adventist school growing up. Growing like, up, I remember you guys all. were going to a regular public yeah, school in Connecticut, exactly. East yeah. Granby, right? Mm-hmm. I remember that. Two, two, we two, didn't two. go to. I went to Adventist school. Up to first grade, and then that was it. Yeah, it was second grade for me, and then we realized it just wasn't effective. Yeah. I feel like that's the only issue I have with, like, Christian education. It's like, yo, I understand, like, in theory, it makes sense to want to fund your church. Not even in theory. As a matter of fact, before I even get there, you have to fund the church school before we could even want to go there. Right. But, like, in theory, it makes sense <laughs> for you to be like, yo, just sing a kiss to the church schools. But it's like, yo... Can we get like the same education as the public exactly, school students? Like, can exactly. we get the same quality of resources? So, like, can we get the same things? Period. Like, right. It's annoying. So I don't remember the full story, but something happened with my first grade teacher. My dad was livid, mm. and he let me finish the school year. And he was like, "All right, it's that's done. it. That's it." And my brothers never went. Nelson goes now mm-hmm. as a college student, but after he pulled me out after first grade, that was pretty much it. It was a dub. Yeah, but for college, it was always like, okay, that's that's when you would go. So, nah, I don't know. For me personally, it was like my pops. The only thing he was just like, you know, if you go to Oakwood, you get a discount because you and your sister go there. And I was like, okay, I mean, you can have to miss out on this discount. Sorry, <laughs> and then, but then they were they were pretty understanding though. It wasn't a, it wasn't forced or anything like that. And I mean, that was part of it. That was ultimately part of the reason why I chose to go to Andrews mm-hmm. because I got the pastor skid discount. Right. So between that and I got a little scholarship, like. I was in a good ah, position. That's why I was implied so, the discount. I forgot. Forgot about that. I don't know if that. that was the main reason, but that was in it. In fact, you know, and I, I can't blame them for that. Of course not. Of course not. I feel like even when I get older, even if I, even though I do have the money, I'm still not about to shell out forty thousand dollars for tuition for my kids. I just wouldn't that's, be smart. And I don't know that it's going to be forty thousand dollars by the time they 60, get there, if right? not more. If not seventy. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So you said that from a young age, you were always like drawing out and sketching and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you always had like that artistic yeah. approach to yourself. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I ask that is because I feel like in order for you, in order for us to fully figure out what exactly we should be doing, you got to go back to your childhood. You got to mm-hmm. figure out what was I good at when I was growing up. What always grabbed my attention when I was growing up? Yeah. For me, it was just I think it was just always talking. Honestly, like it was just <laughs> like I was always that student that was just in the class. Not only going back and forth with the teacher, but going back yes. and forth with everybody. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like I always used to find a reason to just go back and forth. And it wasn't even a matter of being right or wrong or winning. It was just fun. And even to this day, I've been trying to explain to people like, yo, listen, I'm not even trying to be right. Like it's, this is this is fun. Like this is kind of like therapy. Like I like yeah. I like trying to like get to the bottom of things and like understand things. So it's just like I don't know. I feel like for everybody, I feel like you got to figure out like what was yeah. I good at as a kid. It was funny because I think my parents were getting ready to move and they found like my preschool like report card or something mm-hmm. like that. And one of the comments was, "Narelle loves to draw. She loves to paint." And I was looking at it like, "Wow, I've been doing this I didn't from even know that. the beginning." And I didn't even realize like that was it was always in the background, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much of a important thing it was to me until like a couple years ago. And I was like, "Wow, I've really been." kind of moving towards this direction for a long time no i feel like that's key i feel like that's key i feel like for parents especially for young parents i feel like you got to just pay attention to what your kid is good at now and just like mold like just force them in that direction not even force because it's natural right just like mold them and focus them in that that direction and they'll definitely be able to find something there exactly but i mean because i remember even as long back as i can remember you always said that you wanted to go into architecture so by the time you graduated college and you were architect practicing i'm like Sounds about right. <laughs> she told us that. She definitely did. Was it hard for you to adjust that first? Because I know, like, for some fields, you know, for example, for, like, if you're a bio major, like, you go to med school, like, you got to go do your residency first before they before they trust you with a patient. So, like, for architecture, like, once you graduate school, was it easy for you to just go right into the field and be a good architect? I don't know, I don't know what they call you when you first start. I don't know, I don't know what the hierarchy is to, 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 so, to, to the field or the industry. Um, I'm an interior designer. Mm-hmm. Um, I went... Through college, I did a bachelor's in art history and a minor in architecture. Then I went on to grad school and did master's in interior architecture. Art history. You're really a student to this. I I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. (laughs) So um, I understood how to read plans, like Mm -hmm. how to draw. I understood all of that. What I don't think I understood was just the client side of things, how to interface with clients, how to walk them through certain things. We did like a lot of presentations in school. You go mm-hmm. through a project and then you present it. But we were presenting to other architects, other designers. So they, they knew what they already. were looking at. Right. A lot of times we go to a client, they have no idea what they're looking at. Like we'll say a word and they'll be like, what? So a lot of it is trying to learning how to explain architecture to people who are not used to certain terms and reading drawings all day. So I think I wasn't as prepared for that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, my last year, my last semester of school, I did do an internship, so I kind of had a little bit of an idea. You got what your feet I was, wet a little bit. Exactly what I was going into, um, but in terms of like the other side, of really didn't think a lot about or did, wasn't prepared for was the politics of it <laughs> on the client side. Um, there's a lot of infighting. Mm. You got to figure out who's really making the decisions because mm-hmm. it's levels to that. It's levels to that. Yeah, like I've been in projects where this doctor's wife had to see all the finishes because she had to approve of it. Why his wife? I don't know. Who but knows? like, and they that got, happens. They got to deal on the back end. Exactly. That happens more times than not. So like, trying to navigate the politics and stuff of it was. Excuse me. Now I'm like used to it, mm-hmm. but at the time I'm like, "What is this? Who has to see what?" Like, <laughs> it's crazy because you'll be dealing with clients, and then you'll realize that amongst the clients themselves, there's like a little feud between them. Yeah, and then you got to figure out just how to like how to weather that. Exactly. Who I should even speak to? Who I shouldn't be speaking to? Right. Who I shouldn't bring certain things up to? Right. As a matter of fact, who agrees with us more? Like, who can right. we get? Like, it's levels to it. Right. It's a lot of politics in the workplace. Period. 
Right. I feel, so, like, I feel like college should have a course on just politics. Yeah. And like, navigating like that in the workplace. Politics amongst people. Though. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because I was not. And I don't know how I would be prepared for that in school. I don't know. That I could have known beforehand. But um. But then again, you know what's funny, though? I mean, here's how I push back a little bit. I feel like you should have been prepared because you grew up in the church. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you grew up in that Venice you're church. Right. You feel me? Like, when, right. when isn't there politics involved? <laughs> you feel me? Like, <laughs> that is very true. Yes. Um, so it's like, I mean, yeah. I feel like politics is 50% of anybody, anybody's job. Yeah. In any field. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to grips with that now. Like, when I talk to my friends about what they do on a day-to-day, it always somehow goes back to, like, nothing to do with work and just everything to do with just humans being yep, humans. exactly. And we are very strange And people. that's something I'm learning that it doesn't matter. You could be in church. You could be at work. Like, humans are humans. And they're going to fall back they're on. They're going to do human shit. Yeah. They're going <laughs> to fall back on what they know. And it's always going to be the petty stuff. So, hey. Nah. I'm navigating it now. I kind of know how to dodge and weave and don't send that email. Don't ask that question. <laughs> you know. Wait, let's go back to the to the to the titles real quick. You said you were in your interior. Uh, say it again. I'm I don't want to. I want to mess it up. Interior designer, <laughs> yeah. and that's different from an interior decorator. Yes. yes What's the yes, difference? Yes. So decorators are more what you would think when you do like a redesign of your. Not even a redesign, but like uh, changing up your house. Uh, decorators deal more just with like finishes, paints, fabrics. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of stuff. And not saying I don't deal with that. I deal with that all the time. But um, interior design is more technical. I went through a whole master's program, three years of it. So Three I, years, mercy. Yeah. So I know all about wall construction. I had to study lighting. I had to learn about um, building systems, heating, cooling. So when I do a project, I'm not just dealing with furniture or paint or upholstery. I'm dealing with lighting calculations, mm-hmm. uh, wall construction, floors, all that stuff. So I tell people I deal with everything on the inside of a building. And I work with architects to make sure everything works together. So when you walk inside of a building, you you kind of know like whether or not I should even spend a lot of time in this building based off like how it's built. Like, for example, you can walk in the building to tell whether or not you're standing in a liability. To some degree, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I definitely, I definitely need to get around more interior designers because I feel like a lot of these old buildings I'm walking into in New York City, it just they may not even really be here for too long. Because there's, there's a yeah. lot of time, and even in the subway too. It's yeah. mad times I be in the subway. I'm like, yo, I'm not, I don't feel safe right now. I'm gonna keep it a stack with y'all. You might not be, to be but I gotta get to honest. where I'm going. So yeah. it's just like <laughs> it's a problem. Infrastructure and it's really bad, mm-hmm. and it needs to be fixed. And I, that's a whole nother discussion. I mean, but. I feel like. <laughs> It needs to be fixed, but it but it can't though. Well, if we're talking about the New York City infrastructure, it can't because we think about it, right? Especially the, specifically the subways, right? In order for them to really fix the subway, nobody would have to be on the subway, well, and if nobody's on the subway, that means everybody's on top and outside, which means it's just traffic everywhere, everywhere, all the time. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's just like at this point, we kind of got to just cope with it. Kind of got to just go with the motions. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is, but. When I look at places like Japan, they figured it out. So I don't know why we I can't, mean, but, you know. But the thing is, though, they figured it out before. Like, they figured it out before it got too late. You know what I'm saying? Like, they like they designed this system that way. Properly. Pro- exactly. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> properly. They designed well, this system that's properly. The thing. A lot of American, older American cities were not built to sustain the populations that they have now. Philly has the same problem. Philly is essentially bursting at the seams right now. Mm. And there's no way to, like, there's nowhere to go like the uh, main highway in philly 
has two lanes. There's traffic That's all ridiculous. the time, and That's there's ridiculous. nowhere to widen it. And it's just like, this is just what it is. It's funny you say that because on a belt, right? I don't know how often you're in New York, or and when you were in New York, I don't know how often you use the belt. Relatively but, often. So when you're taking the belt going towards Queens, so going towards like East Long Island, mm-hmm. right? There's a certain part of the belt by JFK that there's always traffic. Mm-hmm. No I know what part you're talking about. Right. And I realized today, literally on my way here, I'm like, yo, the reason why there's always traffic here because it's narrower. Like, it's not as wide as mm-hmm. the rest of the belt. Because you'll be flying. You'll be zooming. And then you get there and it's like red light, red light, red light, brake light, brake light, brake light. It's like, yo, what's going on? And I really, I was sat in the car today because I listened to no music on the way back. Mm-hmm. Couldn't really find a good gospel playlist. There's no gospel podcast. <laughs> I'm like, yo, man, I'm just going to let the spirit be with me. I'm going to let the spirit take me home. <laughs> and as I'm in the car, I'm like, yo, it makes sense. Like, this is OD narrow right here. Like, it, it just gets super narrow, then right. it gets widened out again. But it's like, you don't realize how much architects are, like, how much you how much you guys control our lives almost until you do. Yep. And, like, I've heard all kinds of stuff. Just stories about things that you wouldn't think about having such a major effect. I heard a story about, I can't remember what kind of building it was, but the floor pattern that the designer did was making people dizzy. They ended mm. up having to like pull up the floor and put something else down because like so many people were complaining about it. Um, the other day, my boss went to went to a site visit. They polished the floor too much. She fell. The CEO <gasps> fell. And when they came out, the it's meeting, not funny, but that's <laughs> when they came out of meeting, there was like coffee spilled on the floor, and somebody else had just fallen. So it's like even the, wow, that's mad small. We polished right, the floor too, too good. Much. Yeah, <laughs> you polished the floor too or good. Now you they polished. Floor. A, they put wax on the floor. This happened in another project. Um, brand new project, brand new building, beautiful design. They put wax on a floor they should not have, mm. and now the floor looks like water. Like, the reflection from the lights and stuff literally gives, like, a water-like effect. Like you're walking on water. And that could throw people off. Next thing you know, somebody's fall, somebody's disoriented. So it's, like, little, even little minor stuff can have a huge impact, and that's the kind of stuff I got to, I get to think about every day. <laughs> so so we, we can make the case that, we can make the case that John wasn't walking on water then. <laughs> nah, let's think about it. Nah, I might even go to jail. I don't feel like being blasphemous today. Not tonight, not tonight at all. But nah, that's crazy. It's like, wow, this, it's, it's funny in life how like there's so many things to think about that you just don't realize that you're not thinking about it. Right. Like there's so many things to worry about. I, mean, I should say that you don't, that you realize you're not worrying about it. And it's like, you just got to be thankful for everybody and what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always tell people to figure out where their talent is and where their talent lies and go with it. And go with it. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, the reason why we all have unique different talents is so that we can all come Everybody together. Everybody something else. Right, and we can all flourish together in the same in the same space. Mm. So that's a great way to look at it. Mm. <laughs> now, every now and then I, I, make, I make a couple of good points every now and then, so I just had to, I had, to bask, <laughs> had to bask in that moment briefly. Let's talk a little bit about your blog. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your blog. Okay. One of my, um, a lot of very interesting posts on this blog. <laughs> Let's talk about that, that call to be a celebrity one real quick. What, what was your... Call to be a celebrity, okay, let that me was, think that, back. That was, that was, a, that was a little ago. while ago. That was a little while ago. That was, okay. I think that was last year. Yeah. But what was like your, um, like what was the the beginning point for this for this particular piece? Because it's something that I thought about a lot. I'm just like, yo, like... Hmm. I'm trying to remember how I be... How, I, how did I start it? <laughs> <laughs> so the ordinary the ordination of a pastor is a big event. Wow, the irony. Oh, okay. That's okay. OD ironic okay. how somebody today is getting ordained and we just, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. For Black Adventists, is probably equivalent of Emmy Awards. Yo, it just might be. No funny, on the low. No, it is. Because that's why my parents are still at um, Mount Sinai right now. It's the all-day event. 
Okay, so all right. Um, did I write that in the summertime? That was yeah. That was the okay, summer, that's August, why. August of last year. So I um, I think it was. I had the idea to write it sometime around camp meeting. Mm. I don't remember if I was there or if I watched it online or I like I saw like the live stream of it and I just passed through. But um. I was watching, whether I was there in person or online, um, I was watching the lineup for the pastors to go into the um, pavilion for the ordination. And it just seemed like this big, like, red carpet. I think there actually was a red carpet. I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't um, put it past them. I think them. there actually was a red carpet. And they were introducing people and people were, like, clapping and cheering. It was and a I whole was lot just of, it was like, a whole lot of chest out. Exactly. Um, not really hearing the rest of y'all because you're not a pastor and you're not on this line. Right. <laughs> um, people get, pastors wise, get special outfits for ordinations. Um, I don't know if they still do it. But when my dad got ordained, my mom had to wear a hat. Why? I believe And she really wears hat. Oh, just for you. context. I'm sorry. Just for context. Ordination is when a pastor, well, it was two things. It's when a pastor becomes a pastor. It's when somebody becomes a pastor. And it's also when a pastor is like being installed into a new church. Yes. Right. Just for context. Yeah. So ordination is more like, it's like an affirmation that yes, God has called you into ministry. Yes. Mm. This is your calling. Um, It's it's problematic, but I don't know. Quick, quick tangent. <laughs> do, do we think that every pastor that is a pastor, God called them? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> so wait, so, so what, Absolutely not. what does that confusion come from? Though? Like, how do they end up? Not the not how, like we I get how they end up being pastors, you know what I mean? But it's like if you weren't called to do something, right? How do you end up doing it? Like, and, it, and I guess this is a bigger question when it comes to like fate and like overall destiny. But it's just like, does that mean that God designed for you to go against the grain real quick? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think part of it is just people like the what's the word I'm looking for. I don't even know. They like to feel important. They like the benefits that come with it. They like to feel like they're important, essentially. And um, I think that is a draw to, for some people. Some people like to hear themselves speak. Mm -hmm. Some people are power trippers, and they just want the power. Why you would want to fight with church people all day, I don't know. But because you can't do it anywhere else. Sure. That's always been my theory. My, anytime, I, anytime I'm in church and I see people like behave in a certain way, and like when it comes to power and stuff like that, my theory is like, okay, on your everyday, on your like in your everyday life, on your on your job, you don't have that power, and you can I have a friend that power who feels here. the exact same nah, way. No, I'm 100 jacking it. Like it makes sense to me because it's like the majority of people aren't managers and like CEOs mm -hmm. and executives and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like you're just a regular person in the cog. I mean, you're just a cog in the machine, excuse me. When you go to church, it's a smaller scale environment, and it's much easier it's for you to, to just, shine. yeah, it's just, it's, it's much easier for you to hold a position in church and never let it go. Versus and then to get that promotion at, at, at work. That's a fact. Yeah. So, fact. Um, yeah, it's, so I think part of it's just power tripping, um, it's definitely not for the money. Adventist pastors don't make money, so. <laughs> so how do they get paid then? I, I always mean, hear that. How do they get money then? So. There is ways around this the the system. Um, <laughs> one way is you uh, you get employed by the conference. You have your paycheck, right. and then you can go around and preach. And you uh, most times when a pastor goes to another church to preach, like they'll get a little something. Somebody, somebody's in their pocket. a little something, right? Right. So that's one way to do it. You have your church, you get your regular paycheck, but then you go around and preach, and you get some money on the side. Mm -hmm. Some people just straight up have part time jobs, and 
pastoring is not their full-time thing. Some people write books. Some people, I know people who have, um, like, counseling. Services like, and Yeah, stuff like so that. they do that. So, like, there's ways around it. I personally feel like it's very difficult to pastor a church full-time and give the church the full attention that it needs and have, like, another part-time, full-time job. I mm-hmm. feel just based on my experiences and what I've observed, I feel like that's very difficult. But so in that sense, the easiest way is to just have your church and then preach at other churches. It's the easiest business model. Right. That makes sense. Because I always wondered, it's like, I thought that, I thought we were paying the pastors. Like I thought the tithe and like the offering was So yeah, the tithe and, well, offering stays at church in the Adventist system. Let me stress that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> offering stays at church. Can only speak for Adventist. So tithe, right. Tithe goes to the conference and the tithe is used to pay the pastor's salaries and stuff. Mm. But it's not, they're not making a whole lot of money. So I mean, that's a little more comforting because I always wondered where the tithe was going. Mm-hmm. Like, that was always been my question. It's like, yo, so like, you know, if everybody's paying a tithe and offering every week, why does the church look the same? So, or why does that's it's because it's only offering that ends up staying at the church so Mm. like there's lots of churches that give like over a million dollars in tithe but that money is not staying at the church it goes straight like all the tithe money does not the church does not even get to touch that at all do you think that's you think that's a a valid business (laughs) as soon as i I fixed my list to ask the question she was like hold on that because i feel like me personally it's like i mean and i guess it would get to a point where inevitably like if if the tie would stay in the church right it would get to a point where pastors are competing to be at certain churches because certain churches you know get more money than others do that Mm -hmm. makes sense because tithe is 10 percent of your income but it's just like you shouldn't feel like yo how am i gonna feed my family if i want to preach the word you know what i'm saying like i feel like and and I guess it's a little bit hypocritical because it's like you gotta have faith and all of that. Yeah, but at the same time, you still want some certainty. You know working. what I'm saying? Like, you still want some certainty. It was funny because one time I said something about my bonus from work, and my dad just like laughed. And he was like, "Yeah, one time we got a hundred dollar bonus," and I was like, "One time." <laughs> like, one, one time, time is crazy. You got a hundred dollar. One bonus. time is bananas, bro. One time is bananas. One time right. is bananas. One time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But here's the thing, though. So it's like now you got like you got a, a a young kid who's coming out of Andrews or Oakwood, and he just finished studying theology. He hear this, and he like, yo, why am I even doing this anymore? You see what I'm saying? Well, the reality is, um, we have a very big problem with not getting enough pastors. Um, at least in North America, um, a lot of people are nearing retirement, and they don't have nearly as many coming in to replace them. Why do you think young people don't want to be pastors anymore, or as much of us don't? I don't know. Um, I think part of it is the politics. Um, I think part of it, I know a lot of um, women who want to be pastors, and right now women don't get ordained in Adventism. Yo, that is so, crazy. Um, That's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. Because, see, and it's only embarrassing to other Adventists because the, the average person doesn't know the politics that go on in Adventist right. church. But it's like, damn, that's embarrassing. You know what I'm saying? Like Especially, especially when you go on Twitter and you see it. Or somebody like, or like if you hear somebody that's not adventurous throwing that back in your face, and it's right. like, yo, if you know about it, then who else? Who does? else? Does, right? <laughs> who else does? But it's just like I think that happened at the last GC session. They ruled that it, it women aren't. So it's complicated. What they ruled was that um, divisions can't decide can't decide for themselves to ordain women. That's what was voted on. Divisions it was very nuanced. Decide. Cannot decide that women in their territory can be ordained as pastors. Cannot decide. No. So who does? The G's, the general conference? So that's 
the problem. So traditionally, unions decide who gets or, who gets ordained. Um, so that's usually done at the union level. Mm-hmm. Um, General Conference has tried to enforce their preferences and wishes on to that. So right now there are two, I believe, unions who are do ordain women. Um, one in California, and the other one is um. My dad's of course, in. it would be in California. Well, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, Columbia Union, I think that's the one my dad is in. Yeah. Mm. Um, so those are the two unions um, right now who ordain women in North America. There are a couple in Europe that ordain women. Mm-hmm. In Europe, um, well, London to be specific. What we? I don't um, know. I think it I would. Might as- I would assume London? London. I would assume London only because in their society, like the Queen is, is, yeah, is the head of everything. I think it might. I think that union includes London. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, I think one of the like the Danish that territory, they decided that they weren't gonna ordain anybody. <laughs> so right now, no. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I get that. So I get that. Right now, they're but not damn, ordaining son, anybody. That just goes back to how embarrassing it is to the right. point where like we about to just we about to say yo no passes at all for the next ten <laughs> years, period. Because we don't want to y'all want to bring in women. I ain't nobody coming in. Right. So it's just like so it, like I don't and my thing is too like I don't know where the disconnect is. Do they do they think that women can't be leaders? Do they think that women can't spread the word? Like like. I I think, Where's the disconnect? I think it's the power part of it. Um, because to be like a conference president, to be a union president, to be hold certain positions, you have to be an ordained pastor. So by default, if you're a woman and you're not, you can't be an ordained pastor. You can never reach some of those higher levels of administration. So it's a straight up power thing, in my opinion. That's corny. Yeah. That's corny. And I, and I hope, <laughs> yo, because it's like sometimes for me, it's like. I hope, like, I be one, I be hoping this this reaches mainstream sometime, just so y'all can see how embarrassing and how stupid y'all sound. Like, that's just ridiculous. Because this is borderline. Like, I could imagine growing up, I could imagine growing up in like, I want to say even like the early nineteen hundreds, forties, fifties, six. I could imagine like being an Adventist and like at other Adventists like showing or being racist to other people. I feel like that's the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it's like it's like saying like yo you know we all believe in God but you know y'all black so I'm not really we're not really right <laughs> we're not here with it like y'all y'all over there with it and right. now it's like all right we 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 passed that you know black people white people aren't as there isn't as much racial tension between the two now it's like yo I'm a man you're a woman but you know that's where it stops like and then it's not crazy because to say okay women can't be ordained in a denomination where like. I don't want to say people worship Ellen. Nah, nah, people worship her. Nah, I knew you was going there. People worship her. Say it. Feel free. So speak the truth to shame the devil. People worship Ellen G. White. So to that be, is so backwards, right? That is so, so like backwards. people go to Ellen White for everything and then turn around and say women can't be ordained. Like it doesn't make sense. That just goes to show, like when people are like ignorant to certain things, like that's how like not even ignorant. Excuse me, when people are unaware, like that's just that, that it, it makes you seem even more ignorant because it's like I don't even think people real like I don't think people put that together. I don't think they put that two right. together. Like yo, we love this. Like I'm pretty sure at General Conference when they ruled that at some point in that week somebody quoted LNG White, <laughs> especially one of the people that that voted against that. You see what I'm saying? So it's You're like right. people are so unaware to the point where they're willing to just be completely ignorant. Or appear completely ignorant yep. to prove a point. Yeah, it's nasty. So. It's nasty, and it's like yo, a lot. There's a lot of women elders. Yeah. So what's but that was a fight too. It's to even be an elder. Yeah, that got ruled. Maybe early '90s, late '80s. I don't know, but there was a point um, where like churches were like, we're not having women elders. That was a thing 
for a very long time. Listen, so I don't want to start calling church names, but the, <laughs> <laughs> there are churches Listen, that you know where they were like, yeah, we're not having any women elders. All it takes is for the feminist movement to hear about this, <laughs> and it's lit for that Adventist church. Oh, boy. Deaconesses were a thing for a little while. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, it's it's been like a, it's been a struggle. That's sad. It man. has been. That's sad. Um, Yeah. And even in some churches now, if you're a woman elder... They still say you gotta wear a hat when you're up there. Um, it's why do you think we hold on? To, why do you think we hold on to, to certain traditions so much? Like why do you think we're not willing to change or not willing to like let go and evolve? Do you think people feel like we're quote unquote being more worldly by doing that, or do you think people are just afraid to change in general? I think people are afraid of change in general. Mm-hmm. I think the faith that has traditionally been taught is very rigid. Mm. And there's not space for change, and change has always been framed as bad. Mm. Um, so I think that plays mm. a big part of it. It was always you have to do this, 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 and this. You can't do this, 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 and this. So like, there's no room for. It was always black and white, and there was never no room gray, for gray. Yeah, yeah, right. But life is made up of gray. Life. I feel like life is gray though. <laughs> right. I, don't, I never thought life was black. And, well, no, I'm not gonna say never thought. But once I realized like there was a that was a. I never looked at life to be black and white. Right. Like it just, I feel like life is always great. Mm-hmm. I feel like in any good thing is a little bad, and any bad thing is a little good. So it's just like, for 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 us now as humans to try to like force people to be on either side of the spectrum is just not fair mm-hmm. or practical to me, in my right. opinion. So I think, and the other side of it is people are afraid of change. Like they don't, they're just scared. And that's what's been the, what's the worst that can happen. I don't know. Yo, I never, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll never forget. Up until about third, fourth grade, I thought that only Adventist people were going to heaven. Right. And that, there are grown people who... Who still think that. They won't say it. <laughs> but the actions and but everything else exactly. implies that. Or like my favorite is, well, they don't have to be Adventist, but they will become Adventist. Or like there's like this Adventist myth. It cracks me up every time. Um, the belief is it's going to take seven days to get to heaven because you have to celebrate your Sabbath before you get there. Yo, (laughs) yo, I'm so now. Hold on. I'm glad you brought that up because I literally thought about that this week and I I was close to calling my grandmother, but I said, nah, because and the, and the image that was, (laughs) when you think about some of this now, I say, yo, this is kind of wild. The image that was put in my head was that like it's gonna take literally like it's gonna be a long ass road. It was just gonna be walking. <laughs> you know, I I'm gonna just, be walking on the road head, we were and just floating for seven days, and we were gonna on the way there. One of the days was gonna be Sabbath. I don't know how. Like I think I think we're supposed to reach there on the Sabbath. I don't know. I, don't I never know. heard that one, but I wouldn't put it past that being part of the legend. So there's a lot of Ventus legends. Because even now, that's one of my favorites. What though. about what about the legend that a guy's gonna come through Orion's belt? Is that a legend or is that myth, real fact? Um, I think that comes from Ellen G. White. White. You're right. Yeah, definitely comes from Ellen White. Um, I'm not a Ellen White um, philosopher. Yeah, scholar. or a scholar. Yo, I feel like so. a lot of people in our age group just don't. I think probably because of the way Ellen G. White was taught to us. Exactly. A lot of us just not really right. Not really. So I quote unquote read the books because I did Pathfinders, but yeah, I didn't read the books. No, nah, I wasn't reading. Not even so, in Pathfinders. Yeah, half the books I was told to read in Pathfinders just never got around to that. Right. Except for like you know like Bible verses and stuff like that. Memory text is important, you know, but yeah, all all the stuff I just never really got around to it. And it's funny because a friend and I we we were having this conversation last Sabbath and we was like, yo, a lot of like. 
Well, one, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, like, his brain's never apart. That's a fact. But it's just, like, it's like a lot of people our age have been pushed out the church at such an alarming rate that it's, like, even Pathfinders is done. And it's, like, it's going to take, I feel like it's going to take the next generation. So the way I see it, right, the people in their 20s now, we're not really doing a Pathfinders thing anymore. Very, very few and far in between. People in their 30s, they starting to have kids. But the thing is, the hope with them, the people like the late 30s, early 40s, the hope with them is that they're having kids, but they're putting their kids in adventurers. Mm. Like a lot of them, like when you go to like, for example, when I was at Camp Me in this year, the um, adventurous section in the in the, in the the bottom of the Earl was mm-hmm. booming, full oh, of adventures. It was wow. to the point where we had to put two fans in the spot because it was so hot. Wow. But, you know, when when it's parade and fair, not parade and fair, what they call that? Tagging? Tagging? Yeah, or, I think. I forgot what they call that. But when that yeah. part of the day comes and like everybody done, everybody ate and, and Pathfinder, drunk court part playing mm-hmm. and collecting stuff, it was like, it wasn't that many Pathfinders. It was probably like 20, wow. 30. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't that many Pathfinders in the parade. Wow. The, the drunk court definitely wasn't big either. There was times where the drunk court used to be so big that they would have to like try to stop the back right. to make sure y'all only. Like, exactly. It wasn't like that. Wow. So my thing, when I'm looking at that, I'm like, yo, I think what's going to happen is that. These kids are going to reach Pathfinder age, and then their parents are going to be like, yo, I remember when I was in Pathfinder. Because remember, when they was in Pathfinders, that this is the people before us. Mm-hmm. When they was in Pathfinders, Pathfinders was booming. Exactly. Pathfinders was lit. That was where so, you were supposed to be. Right. And but it gave us incentive to be like, to yo, when I'm in Adventurous, like, yo, I want to do that exactly. in like two, three years. I want right. to be in Pathfinders. So I think what's going to happen is once their kids reach Pathfinder age, they're going to be like, yo... We got to get our kids like, you all not about to not do this. Like, I just did adventures. You feel me? And I remember what Pathfinders was for me. But the thing is, the missing piece of that puzzle is us. Right. Because who's going to be the directors in Pathfinders? Exactly. has to be us. So that's why I brought up Change of a Trial because it's like, yo, at some point, <laughs> whether or not nobody wants to admit it, at some point, you're going to have to brush off that Master Guy outfit and put it on. It's not going to be right. me, but, you know, if, if you want to take up that mantle, that's, that's all I'll you. i stop that range of That's chill. all you. Oh, Voyager. I stopped that one of them. I didn't even yeah, get Yeah, I'm not a master guide. guide. I, I, um, I made it to guide and I hung up that. It's crazy. Yo, it's so crazy because I remember in third grade, this is my first year in public school too, and we had like this big poster and it was like, write your favorite sport and draw like this and write what you want to be when you grow up. When I literally put, I want to be a master guide. <laughs> like that's how ingrained I was in Adventism as a child. Like I wanted to be a master guide when I got older but that's because- that's great. I, and that's what I'm saying, but it's like the kids now don't even, they, they don't, they can't think like that because no. what master guys are you looking up to? It's kind of sad when you think about it. I think sad. church is going through a very interesting phase or I don't know how to describe it. Um, I was talking, this conversation happened maybe about a year ago. I was talking to a um, conference administrator that I know and um, he had just moved into that position and part of his job is going around checking out the churches in his territory. And so basically every week he's in a different church mm-hmm. and um, we were talking about that and he was like, I don't know what's happening, but our churches are empty. That's nah, real. And I'm just sitting there listening. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just taking it in. Right. And he's like, I'm very concerned. Um, this is not good. And if we don't do something soon, in 20 years, there won't be a church. And I sat at his dining room table and I was like, yep. You're right. You're you're correct. Because the reality is the church population is aging. Mm-hmm. And we're leaving. And at some point, 
people are going to die and there's not going to be a whole lot of people in the middle. To I would re, say, to recalibrate it, right? right to I would up. say um, those people in their late 30s, early 40s. Um, I ain't gonna, they got a lot on their plate right now. Like that, we, we, I ain't going to be begging on them a lot right now. Like we're begging on them a lot. Like we're, like we're really, really throwing all the chips in on them. I mean. On that particular demographic. I, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that part of your life is easy. I'm not saying, right. I mean, I've, each stage of your life comes with different challenges Ups and different and priorities. And and, right. So um, I think they're just in a different spot and they think differently about religion and faith than we do. Um, so I don't necessarily think that they're leaving as much as we are. In some cases, yes. In other cases, no. Um, so I don't. I don't know enough about the generation before us to say, oh, they're leaving or they're staying. I mm-hmm. can't make that. Well, then again, I, I think I got to keep in mind that I'm uh, like my perspective is is small in the grand scheme of things. But from my like from what I see, like from the churches I visit and the churches I go to most frequently, the people that I know, it seems like we're banging on them. Because like they're having kids and they're bringing their kids around and their kids are like developing friends. Like, like I'm seeing us as the kid. You know what I mean? Like, I'm seeing us as a kid mm-hmm. from their eyes. Almost. Not from their eyes. Us as a kid. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at, the, I'm looking from their perspective when they were our age. That's how I'm looking at it. Okay. And the thing, when, when I look at, when I observe from that perspective, it's like, if if this stays on the same path, mm-hmm. then you guys are going to be the generation to revive the church. If it's going to happen. I mean, um,. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer and say, oh, the church is done. Like, there's no hope. But I think there needs to be a lot of intentional change. And I don't know if there's space for some of those changes to happen. Because... Elaborate on that a little. So even... So I said earlier that the generation before us looks at faith differently and religion differently from we do. And when... Maybe I shouldn't say we. I'll say me. On a personal level, because mm-hmm. um, I've met a lot of people in their like uh, early forties, mid forties, who are very traditional, still very you don't do this, you don't do this, like, and it's, I'm like, where is your creativity? Where is your flexibility? Where mm-hmm. is like, and they don't have that. And I'm not saying that's typical of their that whole generation, mm-hmm. but I've seen it a lot, and it, it's alarming to me because it's like, okay. You're just repeating the same things that you complained about when you were my age. So, and what I've realized is that a lot of people are just as spiritually toxic as the generation before them that they complained about. And it's funny to see people repeat those. I mean, the arguments just take different forms, forms, but it's essentially some of the same stuff. And it's still, it's always a problem. It's still, and I, I have a hard time seeing that change on a collective level so i don't know what do you mean by spiritually spiritually toxic um i think based on well i'll take your example for your what you said for an example you said for a long time you thought that only adventists were going to heaven Mm -hmm. that means that a seed was planted in you for you to believe that and 
to me, that's spiritually toxic because now you're looking at non-adventists, like, uh, like, what's wrong with you? And I even parts of me, like, when I, I remember in middle school, so when I was in, I went 7th, 8th, ninth grade, I went to a white evangelical Christian school. Very completely different yes. than what you, what you used to. Yes. So, um, and I realized, looking back, at the time I didn't realize it, but looking back, I realized I was a little Adventist Pharisee. I'm like, weak. <laughs> I was people, and like so. about sabbath about clean and unclean meat i remember they were talking about the rapture i was coming back with that rapture is not it <laughs> like i was like i was a little pharisee and like i and and it's funny because i did not learn that at home mm-hmm. a lot of the like toxic beliefs and things that just don't make sense now like looking back i didn't learn them from my parents i learned them in church mm. so to like and so i think uh, <laughs> <laughs> take your time don't worry about it take your time i think um there's seeds that are planted that are not necessarily from your parents just being around certain people that frame how you think about religion frame how you think about god and a lot of times they're toxic and they shape how you view people and how you speak to people and what how you think they think about god and you kind of start ending up putting judgments on them and their mm-hmm. relationships with god so like like i said going back to when i was going to school with white evangelical christians like i thought they were the crazy ones i thought i knew what i was talking about of course because that's what they teach us adventists have the truth right i, I heard that today ironically yeah because that's you hear that every week i'm not gonna lie to you though i'm not gonna lie to you that's super arrogant like even if you well, exactly. even if that is the case that that's super arrogant to, exactly. to still say that though. and that's and part of being a Pharisee. Anytime I, <laughs> anytime I say that, I feel like people don't understand what I'm saying. Like when anytime, anytime I tell an older person that I should say, like, it's like they don't really understand what I'm saying. But it's like yo, that's od arrogant for you to look at all of the other religions and be like, nah, we got the truth over here. We we rocking right over here, and y'all just and not gonna make it. Or y'all just not on the same. Like that's just od arrogant to me. Adventism is a very young religion. Super young. In comparison, like in comparison, in comparison to, to all to, the other religions, like the major denominations, Adventism is very young. And to say and niche, I didn't realize how niche it was until I got older. And to say that everybody got it wrong <laughs> until 1844 <laughs> makes no sense. And people, that's literally no, what you're saying. That, <laughs> everybody was wrong until, until 1844. 1844, and everybody was like, "Oh, we figured it we out." We figured it Finally out. Finally, took everything that y'all was saying, took some of what you were saying, a little bit of what you were saying back there, shout right. out to the Jews, and then we just and this is together. us, and and we got it, and we all right all the time. That that's that but you know what's funny about that? I think I think a lot of that. I think a lot. I think that comes from insecurity. Like the, the reason why people say that is comes it comes from insecurity because when you break it down like that, like yo, we didn't pop up till 1844, and there was so many and other religions. Not even we weren't even formalized until I think 1860 ish. Mm-hmm. 1844 is just when they kind of started like meeting, right? <laughs> when I don't we started think having we were meetings. really formalized until about 1860, if I right. remember that correctly. But I, I think that comes from insecurity because it's probably like they probably feel like, listen, we young, we young as hell compared to everybody else, but we got it. Right, because when you when you really when you really stop and think about the amount of religions out there, I can see how somebody is like, "Yo, we might be wrong, we could be off here, but just to make sure we go to just just jack that we got it, like <laughs> we got it though, alright, just make sure we like you say we got." I get that, but I just feel like that's the doom you're doing people a disservice. At but that, that sets you up for not being able to change, right? Because 
And I think this is part of the reason why people are resistant to change. Because if we were wrong about this, what are, what, what if we were wrong we about everything else? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it comes to your own personal faith, your own personal relationship with God. And you have to be like, okay, but this is what I know. It's so, because we're human. Like, we don't know everything. We don't have everything. Figured out. Exactly. Think- and that's okay. But I think people are afraid because if I question this, I got to question this. And then suddenly, because I would say because their faith is not even necessarily strong, Mm. once you take one thing out, you got to, next thing you know, you got to take everything out. Next thing you know, the whole religion is gone. Right. Next thing you know, the only thing that you could depend on is the fact that we shouldn't eat pork or something like that. I I got to the point where, I got to the point for the, the only thing I'm willing to say, like, where I'm at now, the only thing that I know for a fact is that the seventh day is a Sabbath. Like, that's the only thing I know for a fact is that from sundown Friday night to sundown Sabbath, Saturday, that's the day of rest. Like, that's the only thing I know for a fact. Everything else is kind of up in the air. I'm not going to lie to you. And I went through a very interesting phase of figuring out my Adventism, mm-hmm. if that's how you want to phrase Classify. it. Um, how old are you? 23. Three, 23 think, yeah i just turned 23 yeah yes you did happy birthday belated um so yeah really pretty much around your age is when i it's like right after college stage i went through this thing like what do i believe what do i not believe it was a very difficult path what was what triggered that path for you like what would you say triggered that path um, it was a combination of things. I was trying to figure out my career path. Um, I was finally outside of my bubble of as a pastor's kid. So part of the reason I went to Philly was because I knew nobody knew me there. I'm weak. Um, yeah, I purposely <laughs> went. Now I don't blame you for um, that though. Nobody. I mean, like my dad had like one or two friends out there, mm. so I wasn't like by myself by myself but i purposely went to philly because i knew i could shake the pastor ferguson's daughter the past um <laughs> life Stigma. that i lived right so um so i was finally outside of that bubble i wasn't my dad wasn't waking me up saturday morning like okay like we got to go to sabbath school mm-hmm. like i was on my own so i think that part of it kind of definitely triggered parts of it and then it was just the timing because i think all along i had questions like i remember from high school my senior year, um, the people came in to do class rings. I wanted a class ring so bad. I begged my parents for a class ring. Mm-mm-mm. And my dad was like, we don't wear jewelry. I'm like, but it's, dad, a, it's class a ring. ring. Like, it's a, yo, it's a ring, dad. It's a ring. It's a class ring. It's, ring. Like, it's okay. Like, and they were like, nope. And so, like, even from then, like, I knew I wanted to pierce my ears. Like, so it was always about timing, so during that time, I did end up piercing my ears. Once I moved out and I was in Philly, I did pierce my ears. So I think it was just, I always was, I don't want to say I was always questioning. I never doubted my faith in God, but I feel like along the way, especially like once I got towards like that middle, towards the end of college, I definitely started questioning my Adventist faith and really trying to examine what I believe, what I don't believe. I don't know about this. I definitely believe this. Mm-hmm. So, and that was a very long process. That took years. Um, I think that's important to point out because I feel like a lot of us go through that and it's like two months ago by and you're just like, yo, why am I still here? But it's like, that's, you got to think about it. Like you spent the last 20 something years of your life believing this and thinking this way. Not even just believing, but it, it, I feel like a lot of it, when it comes to religion, it kind of, it creates a certain thought 
process and thought pattern. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's gonna take a while for you to not only unlearn that, but also open your mind to like other possibilities or entertain or exactly. even entertain other conversations. Right. So So that was there were times where it was scary. There were times where I was like, I don't know about this. Um I so it ended when did I write that? Not this not last year, the year before I ended up writing going back to my blog. Mm-hmm. We went way off, but that's fine. Um I wrote a blog post called Yes, I'm Seventh day Adventist. I'm weak. And I feel like I had gotten to the point where I was like, Yeah, I eat bacon, but I'm still Adventist. Yeah, I pierce my ears, but I'm still Adventist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dye my hair purple, but I'm still Adventist. And it went through, like I was able to embrace the fact that I don't line up with the traditional beliefs necessarily but i still identify and i still can identify with that group now i don't know things change <laughs> I'll put it that way. Things change, things change. And, I, and it's funny because adventism is just as much a religion and a denomination as, as it is any, a culture right so right, and i a have a very hard time explaining that to people who are not adventist like one of my best friends she's christian but she's not adventist and we've been friends for like 16, 17 years. And there's still things that I say. And she's like, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're not Adventist. Like, mm-hmm. I got to break that down for you. So I think that's probably one of the most challenging things about Adventism. Because, like, you can divorce. I would say it's easier to divorce yourself from the religious aspect of it than it is the cultural aspect of it. I, I agree with that. Because even those mad people it was just like, yo, they, they clearly divorce themselves from the religious part. But the cultural side, like, you're still here. Right, but I think that's with that's that's almost with anything I want to say. Well, not anything. No, not really, because not not everything is at on the same level of religion in the sense that like it has that same holds that same value in your mm-hmm. life. So it may not. But I definitely I agree in the fact like that's one thing I always appreciated about the Adventist Church, like the fact that one is so structured and that structure is what creates a culture. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most important parts of that culture is pathfinders and adventures, mm-hmm. which is why I was like, which is why this year when I went to camp meeting and I saw that, I was just like, what's going on? We're in trouble. Like we're really in trouble here. But I don't know. I, I, going back to the, to the, the topic of um being toxic, be not toxic, spiritually, spiritually toxic, toxic, excuse me. <laughs> I think for a lot of people like that's how they were taught religion and adventism so they probably feel like this is how i have to teach it to everybody else mm-hmm. but i feel like for our generation we grew up at a, at a at a unique time because it's like we were one of the first generations to just be like nah we're just not gonna talk to me like that <laughs> you're just not gonna you're just not gonna treat me like that you're just not gonna do that just because we're like nah and i think we we probably one of that we probably are the first generation to be like to put our to put our feet down and just say like yo I'm just not gonna allow this toxicity in my spiritual life mm-hmm. and that's why a lot of us just are in the church now. But I always felt like how do you feel about the idea like that Jesus didn't come to the earth to and leave it with a religion like he just more so showed you a way of life and if you follow that way of life and have a relationship with him regardless of whatever religion you 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 claim to or subscribe to mm-hmm. you will never be saved. Because I hear that from a lot of people who are just non-denominational or people who are, like, on a spiritual awakening journey. How do I feel about that? Because um, I'm not going to lie. Like, you, these are one of the things that, like, in the, when I went through the stage of, like, Adventism versus anything else. Anything else. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. You, you. you raise a valid point there. I'm not going to lie to you. God didn't, God didn't leave and say, yo, 
Everybody's got to be X, Y, Z. Right. He never said that. And it's funny because I feel like the early church went through that because I would argue that I don't think Jesus' disciples set out to start like this brand new thing. They were Jewish. So, and I almost think Jesus did that purposely because Mm. I don't know. I don't believe that, like you said, I don't believe Jesus came to set up a religion. Like, I don't think that was his purpose. With that said, I under, so I'll put it this way. I lean more towards the title of non-denominational just because once you start getting caught up in specific denomination traits you have very specific traditions you have very specific rules you have very specific way of life and not saying those things are bad but those end up being used as a way to judge other people Mm. and to hold people to certain standards Standards, that are not necessarily biblical Mm -hmm. or not necessarily it's not even necessarily a thing of right and wrong it's just that's how you practice your faith but that doesn't mean that's the only way to practice to practice it Mm. that's a good point that's a good point that's kind of how i see it so if you say this faith, this sect is the best way for you to practice your faith, mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue with you. For some people, Adventism, that is how they, that is what's best for them. I'm not going to argue with them. But at the same time, you can't turn on and say, well, you're not Adventist. So you're, you're clearly not as spiritual as I am. I don't feel like that's a fair measuring stick. So it goes back to that one-on-one personal relationship. And I honestly think... Your personal relationship with God gets displayed in your life. How you treat people, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act. Just I think those things come automatically. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said there's going to be a whole lot. I've said before, there's going to be a whole lot of Adventists who spend every Sabbath in church Mercy. and end up going straight to hell. Because Mercy. just the way they treat people, the way they act. So just the way they view the world. Right. You can't be going to heaven with that attitude. So... <laughs> <laughs> so that reminds me yeah. of one of your most one of your more recent posts where you was like, yo, a lot of y'all, I realize I'm in church, a lot of y'all, I'm like, yo, I wouldn't even really want to be in heaven with y'all. No. So it's just like <laughs> I've said I've prayed this. When you think before. about that, it's like, you're like right. God, if these people are going to heaven, I I really don't want to be there. Just find me a separate room. Right. Like <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to be there. So Yo. And it's it's that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah, th- that's just the fact. Like people some people are crazy. <laughs> I don't know, man. This this thing this, this thing is strange, man. I ain't even gonna lie to you. This thing I, I don't know I, I don't know where I'm at on a spiritual journey on a on a religious journey. I'm a spiritual from a spiritual perspective. I definitely do have a stronger relationship with God than I did when I was younger because mm-hmm. I understand it more. Like I understand what I should be doing a little bit more. But on a religious level, it's kind of just like I guess at this point, because I'm so comfortable with Adventism, I still go to Adventist church and I still do believe in the Sabbath, like I said, for, for a fact. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I know for a fact is mm-hmm. this thing. Like, regardless of religion or denomination, I know for a fact the Sabbath is still a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll, I'll always still worship on the Sabbath, but it's just like, when I just, when I look at things, because I like, I like looking at things, I like looking at the big picture all the time. And I'm just like, from a big picture perspective, I don't know what a church is going to be in 20 years. Right, and, and going back to what that church administrator administrator said, like there might not be a church in twenty years. Like the way I see it, it's like yo, the church was such a big part of my of me growing up that it's like 
if that's not around when I have kids, what are we doing? So that's funny because I've thought about how I would want to raise my kids. And I, there are parts of my Adventist childhood that I treasure. Like I treasure my time in Pathfinders. And at one point I was like, I have to raise my kids Adventist. They have to be in Pathfinders. Mm-hmm. And like, that was just what it was. was set in stone. But now I'm realizing there's ways to give my kids those same experiences without necessarily tying it to the Adventist church. Mm. So as I as the person I am in this moment, I would argue, no, I would not raise my kids Adventist. That doesn't mean I wouldn't keep the Sabbath because like you, Sabbath is still a special day for me. I may not be in church, but I do observe it. I do see it as a day of rest. I keep it as a day of rest. So I've thought about like, okay, so if I'm not in the typical Adventist setting where we're going to Sabbath school at 915, like <laughs> what would the ideal Sabbath with my kids, with my family look like? Mm-hmm. Um and the model that or the model that I came up with, I realized that does not exist. Mm. As for me that I have seen. What's the model? Let's hear this model. So just realistically, Saturday mornings, I'm tired. <laughs> Do I want to be rushing anywhere on Sabbath morning? Not no. Really. Especially if it's a day of rest. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Sabbath has primarily been a day of rest. So why are we rushing anywhere? You know what's funny, real quick, you know that I think about it? Why does Sabbath school doesn't have to be at nine? Fifteen. It don't need to be at nine fifteen. I could be. be in my house at nine fifteen. <laughs> so back, that back was to your model, so that was that was a thing for me. I mm-hmm. was like, okay, realistically, because okay, so growing up, we had to wake up early for church, especially when my dad was coming to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. We had to leave the house at like seven thirty yeah, in the morning. I was yeah, I forget. Yeah, I, I was woke up earlier for church than I did for school. Beastie for like six years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, for me, so to one of the biggest, like, I don't want to say benefits, Mm -hmm. but, like, one of the biggest changes for me when I moved out was the fact that I could sleep in late on Saturday morning. Just a little later. Yeah. So, so we're going back to the ideal model. So, church wouldn't really start until, like, maybe in the afternoon. That gives you the opportunity to sleep in late. You can't make a big spread breakfast for your family spend some time together talking whatever just relax relax not rushing you're not rushing anywhere because we rush in every other day we can take some time relax and i feel like that's sabbath is supposed to be made up of moments where you do get the time to relax to and spend it in the moment exactly i feel like that's part of the purpose of it so i can't remember what time i said church would start Maybe I think it wasn't until like one ish. Sabbath school that one or, or yeah. divine hour. Hmm. Interesting. So Sabbath school would not be so much of like the lesson study because you know how we grew up. Mm-hmm. This day, Monday, <laughs> we learn blah 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 blah, and we never make it to Friday. Whatever. <laughs> We're not doing oh, none of that. Snap. It would be more we'd of never like make a, it to Fridays. We though, never, so we never have did. you never ever sat in the Sabbath school never class and made it to Friday? That. Exactly. Yeah. Teachers, you have five minutes and be exactly. on your Thursday. Exactly. Maybe we might not have even made it to Wednesday. Right. It depends on the week. It depends. So um, it would be more of like a Bible study interactive type of thing for about an hour or so. And then, quote unquote, divine service would start around two. 
and that would only last an hour. Um, and I don't out. feel I feel like services have gotten so padded with just stuff. Like <laughs> half of that stuff is unnecessary. We came to worship. We came to read the word. We right. came to hear the word. That don't need to take three, four hours. Get straight to it. Right. So, you know, you pray, you have a little season of prayer, you have a worship, you have time for worship, and you have time to hear the word. And a sermon doesn't always have to be the pastor preaching from the pulpit. Exactly. It could be an interactive thing. Um, I talk to my dad about this all the time. Like, it doesn't have to necessarily be one person's i don't want to say speaking down that sounds bad that's not what sermon is but it doesn't have to be one person speaking for an hour that a sermon can come in multiple forms jesus used to tell parables he wasn't standing up in the synagogue pulpit preaching every week Mm -hmm. so like there's ways to have to still get the word without being the traditional setting of what we think church is so if you cut out stuff like responses after everything you don't really need special music. I mean, <laughs> and I'm not, it's not even a diss to people. It's just like, if we're here to worship and we just worship collectively, I feel like we can. Cut out special music. Move on. Hmm. I never thought about that, but I guess I, look, I always looked at special music as a, as a part of the worship. And I'm not saying it's not. Mm-hmm. This is, again, this is my ideal. Right, right. This is my ideal scenario, you know. And maybe one week somebody does have a special song. To <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to sit down. I'm not. So you know. I go. Right. I go for though, since we since we on ideal churches. I always felt like what well, is not always more recently. The more most so recently, I felt like the ideal church would be no church. Like I feel like we should be outside. I personally feel like if let's say one day the city comes and puts a notice in your church that says, yo, we're going to evict you guys at the end of the month. If the community isn't rallying around your church to say, yo, listen, we need this church here then your church should be it should be out like it shouldn't have been there in the first place Mm -hmm. like if the people in your community don't know you for being that church then you shouldn't shouldn't be there and i think a lot of the times like us being in the tradition of wake up every sabbath morning get there for sabbath school and just do the whole rundown of what the sabbath of what we think damn that's not even really resting though but not the whole the whole rundown of what we were told sabbath should be from a church perspective i feel like we lose touch with the community around us. And at the end of the day, we are here to help the community and mm-hmm. inspire them and, and save them and things like that. And it's just like, how do you do that from your pews in suits and ties and dresses every day? You don't. Exactly. So my ideal church would be no church. Like it wouldn't probably wouldn't even be a building. We would be meeting, but it would be more so like, I feel like church, we like, I feel like everybody thinks of church and literally thinks of the physical structure of church mm-hmm. when, more, when the church is actually the people mm-hmm. itself. And I just feel like churches could do more for their communities around them. Like, they definitely I, that's, could. That's just and how I feel. It's interesting to when you say that people always think of church as the structure. Um, and that goes for like the hierarchy structure as well as the physical structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually talking to, about this with somebody the other day. Um, a lot of churches are aging. They're very old buildings. They need a lot of work. Every church my father has pastored in the past decade has needed physical work and that's why on I asked the you at the beginning of the convo that you could walk into a building and let me know if I'm sitting in a liability <laughs> or not because a lot of these I'm telling you a lot of these buildings are a little sus right and it's that's what happens the buildings are old and the reality is like a lot of the ch- these churches cannot afford 
to sustain the building, to fix the building. They need new heating systems. Which is they why need I was wondering rooms. where the tithe is going. Because I'm like, yo, I thought this was staying here. What's going on? No. <laughs> Offering can't do that. Offering, Offering can. can't do that. So not when you got to pay the light bill. Not when you got to pay the heat or the cooling bill. Not when you got to do all these little things. So you have these older buildings that are only that need repairs are only open one full day a week maybe okay so maybe it's open like wednesday for prayer meeting friday night for choir rehearsal or whatever's what's going on there but like for the most part church buildings are empty during the week mm-hmm. i would say like 80 percent of the life of a church building it's empty at least in a Adventism. There, mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's other churches, their buildings are open all the time, but we'll stick to Adventism for now. What if other activities happen in those buildings during the week? So it's not just a waste of space. But then at the same time, you have people who are like, well, this is a church. Anything can't just happen in here. So again, it goes back to that push and pull of like tradition, but we need to reimagine what we're using the space for. Because right. at the end of the day, grandma's offering cannot fix the roof so what are we going to do here but if we partner with our community if we partner with other people who can also use our facilities if we all pull together yeah maybe we can fix that roof and then yeah we all do become a staple in the community Mm -hmm. you're like yeah we do this here every week or we do go there for this like there's ways to do it but it's just again it goes back to change initiative purposeful thinking reimagining the way church works do people want to do that that's the question. Probably not. Well, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get out of here, let the people know where they can follow you, where they can read your blogs, where they can um, keep up with you and your thoughts. Okay. Um, let's see. My blog is nafergie.com, or if you search from the mixed up files of a PK, uh, you will find my website. Um, and then on Twitter and Instagram, my handle is nafergie. Nafergie. Norell? Thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. No doubt. No doubt. (laughs) You've been listening to the King Belly Podcast. You can follow the King Belly Pod on Instagram and Facebook. You can subscribe to the King Belly Podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Your support is greatly appreciated. This beat was produced and engineered by Nigel Pierre Bryant. You can check out more of his records on his production page on Instagram at produced by period X.